On today's episode, we are talking to Matt Martin from Photobook Cafe. It's a fascinating talk about a punk do-it-yourself ethic, self-publishing and zine culture. For anyone who needs a bit of get-up-and-go, this chat with Matt should get you going. We're also going to have a little chat about the government's plan to retrain everyone in the arts. So uh, let's get into it. Afternoon, Tom. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm doing... I'm, I'm all right. I've just found out I've got to retrain as a uh, coroner. I think you misread that. I Trust me. Unfortunately, I'm following government advice and I have now got to be a coroner. They're forcing no, me. Wasn't it cyber? Oh, no, I think you've been... Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I've never actually been a ballerina, uh, but um, Fatima is is gutted that her next job's in cypher. So that, let's let's take this apart because there are so many elements to this story. Not only... <laughs> That the image, obviously, normally, say, for example, you, you break down an image, you go, right, that has had so many sets of hands on it, from casting directors to uh, art buyers to assistants to digitex to makeup artists to wardrobe to set stylists. To, you know, there are hundreds of people involved in creating images. We all know that. Yet mm. the government, who have refused to pay for an image have pulled this image off unsplash yeah for free and the and the photographer is understandably devastated at the same time on the flip side to play da yeah what are you doing uploading your images to somewhere like unsplash (laughs) and then why are you getting upset when it gets used yeah it's i mean that is you, you should be excited your image is being used at the same time you know if you'd properly licensed it there wouldn't be a way of that happening. It's utter madness, isn't it? It's kind of it, it summarizes everything that's wrong with the photo industry in 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 one kind of foul swoop as well. Because, as you said, there were probably that many people involved, and then you go and put an image somewhere where it can be used for free anyway. Uh, it, what, honestly, what? It, it boggles <laughs> it it boggles the mind really a little bit. It's um for for me, I mean I. To be honest, the whole if if there is an up, upshot from this whole retrain thing, because obviously I'm going for the role of a coroner, the starting wage is apparently eighty one grand a year. I mean, <laughs> I'm all right with that. Yeah, how are you with dead people? Though? Fine, they 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 laugh pretty hard at the jokes. <laughs> so, oh, and I think we both enjoy a stiff drink, huh? Oh, oh no, started Sorry. already. I thought, oh, you, right. I thought you got it out of your system. No, God no. The more Absolutely. that you, the more that you to get stuck in lockdown, <laughs> the more desperate the puns become. <laughs> yeah, they're not great. They're not great. But um, yeah, no, it's oh, I don't know this this whole thing. So lockdown, right? We, we as photographers quite quickly realised that maybe we weren't considered an essential you know, an essential service. And and that is fine because the essential services at the beginning of lockdown are supermarkets. They provide food for people to eat and nurses, doctors, surgeons, you know, anyone in the medical professional because they're keeping people alive. Photographers mm. making people look nice. I, you know, I hate to obviously make our profession sound so so basic, but, you know, I, I kind of had come to terms with photography not being considered as as necessary as a doctor who can save a life on the, on the flip side 
I hadn't quite realized how little, say, for example, the government valued the arts. Mm. You know, there is a ministry for culture, culture and uh, media. They came out and said that their advert, advert, like the advertising campaign that they had started about getting jobs in cyber was crass. And you kind of go, not just crass. What, what you've done there is just insulted hundreds of thousands of people across the UK. Pretty mm. much anyone who works in creating art, you've just insulted. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, let me put it like this, Greg. I, I don't think they were doing a very good job with this whole pandemic thing anyway. I I do feel like though this this I don't know there were so many nails in that coffin. Yeah. This might have just been an extra one. Very much like, so. I don't know. What do you think about it? I mean, I'm very much with you on that. I think it's um, you know the arts industry is always the kind of sign of a healthy society, as far as I'm concerned. And as soon as mm. you start to um, deride that and say that it's not important not necessary and is a waste of time then you're kind of going into dodgy territory as far as i'm concerned equally i'm hyper aware of what you're saying that our jobs are very much not uh key worker roles um you know i have a brother who's a doctor so i i live with that <laughs> that guilt every day and have um, done for years <laughs> yeah i have done for years um but you know, at the end of the day, everyone's got their thing. Everyone's got their kind of corner that they work away at, and to um to say that it's not important and it's not and that you should just give up on on what you enjoy doing and what you are good at doing and retrain for something else seems um slightly offensive. But yeah, just for me, the campaign I just find it hilarious. The whole thing is hilarious. You couldn't, you know, if someone was to write a sitcom. It's like something out of in the thick of it. I just on so many it's levels. Way satirical than in the thick of it. The, the <laughs> thick of it, just, you know, it almost seems positive now when you when you watch. It. Did, yeah. you, did you do the? Um, did you do the um, the retraining questionnaire? No, I didn't. So I did, and Is obviously this why I, you obviously, decided on being a coroner. That's obviously why I've decided on being a conorer. That and obviously the fact that I watch a lot of um, kind of murder stuff and murder investigations and you things wear a lot like of black. that. I wear a lot of black. Yeah, I'm basically proper goth. Um, but for anyone who hasn't watched Des, by the way, it's very good. Big shout out to my man, Dan Mays. Um, what, what I will say, though, is I, I did the questionnaire. And, and honestly, because I, I didn't want to skew it. You see a lot of people who've got kind of funny answers, and I'm like, well, you know, did they actually get that? Kind of, well, actually, they did. So I did it and, and genuinely answered all the questions. And no word of a lie, it goes, you might look for a job in the creative sector. And I, I, and, and I genuinely was like, what? And so it was suggesting roles for me like a copywriter. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy, but like, that role has been affected as much as mine. You know, it's oh, it, the whole thing was ridiculous. So I did go through. Well, they obviously uh, didn't hire a copywriter on that advert, though. Well, my God, if if only they had actually got some real creatives in to do it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It was it was not good, not good. But anyway, I start next week on the Corona training scheme. Okay, what does that involve? I don't know, but it's a dead cert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lining them up. I'd like to so, knock uh, them down. But... <laughs> Sorry, terrible. What else been going terrible. on? 
Uh, I've installed a new lock on the office. That's right. It's a rigor mortis. <laughs> Should we just stop and get into the show? <laughs> Um, um, I don't know. There's there's been actually quite a lot of stuff that's happened this week because um, you know things that things are have quietened down a little bit because obviously Boris is now there's talk of a second lockdown and stuff like that. So I've decided that uh, instead of doing anything useful, that that my uh, my whole batteries situation needs a, a re a rethink, which is which is wonderfully exciting, and uh, I'm just trying to stay positive about it. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm actually so not going to say any more batteries puns because otherwise I'll just have to charge you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Right. What? So what? So with the batteries, what are you? Um, you're going towards VLock something. So I am. Well, this. You did right. tell me on WhatsApp the other day, and I. But I don't. But your it. your reaction. <laughs> what? Dot dot dot, and then nothing. And I said yeah. thirty messages, and you just ignored everything. <laughs> and I hope <laughs> listeners, by the way, bear with me because the today's chat with Matt is great. You'll really enjoy it, um, and there's not much gear chat in it. So this is this is the very short bit of gear chat that you'll have. So go on. Photographers have a lot of batteries, mm-hmm. right? How many different types of batteries do you currently have? Um, including all your digi stuff. Five and a half. Uh, no, I don't know. Half. Big ones, small ones. What do you mean? Right, so some black ones and some white ones. Well, you've got camera batteries, you've got external (laughs) batteries for uh, charging iPads on set. You've got loads, uh, loads, basically. Probably, I've got at least, I've got at least three different camera brand batteries for Mm -hmm. my digital, and then V-Locks for video, and I have double A's and triple A rechargeables that I use in like uh, radio transmitters. And then obviously the flash have all their own lithium ion batteries. Mm -hmm. So yes, lots. Good shout, by the way. Uh, When I I spoke to you the other week about buying rechargeable batteries and we we both Mm. use Enerloop uh, and they're actually very good. I I realized the other day after I had gone through a hundred triple A's in the past year that actually that I was just chucking them away. And that's, that's terrible for the environment. So yeah. now these these inner loops have already saved me about thirty different batteries. So yeah, and if nice you, pick. well, I mean, I I have my lovely uh, charging station, which you helped me out on by sending me the pegboard in the first place and giving me the inspiration to do it. Um, so I actually have a a little uh, AA AAA charging dock on there, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. I mean, also I can't remember the name of the um brand but you can get battery cases that fit double a's and triple a's so you can fit about eight or 12 of them in um and they're super like slimline so they just slip into your camera bag really i have useful. i have them they are um and they just slot into the holes um mm. yeah i we, we'll put a link to whatever they're called in the uh, show notes i actually have i imported mine from bnh in the states mine are glow in the dark oh <laughs> Which, which actually, I don't know if you've have you ever uh, flashed any glow in the dark stuff. If you oh. ever want to see how bright your glow in the dark stuff can be, hold it about three centimeters away from a flash on full power, and then honestly, it is like Stare something directly out of, at it. It is something out of Ghostbusters. It is the the most bright you'll ever see a, a fluorescent thing. It's exciting. Well, oh, I see. I see. So it kind of gets like a full dose of charge. It gets a full charge. So if you do ever suddenly go, right, I'm going inside and I can't charge anything up, my battery holders, for example, give them a zap a flash 
and they are bright. Sounds like a very unlikely scenario. But anyway, so going back to the batteries. You'd be surprised. (laughs) It is very unlikely, yeah. Um, Going back to the batteries right quickly. So so you've obviously got V-Lock for video, right? And Mm -hmm. so I have decided to move pretty much all of my batteries for my video and my digi stuff over to V-Locks because I've been using um, Hyperjuices for years. And great, really, really solid options. And a nice shout out to LS Digi, who does the the amazing mounts for the Digi plate and stuff like that. Um, but the trouble there is if I want to fly and I want to pick up loads of batteries, I can't. And when I'm shooting on a video rig, I you know I shot a f- uh, film the other day and I'm changing a million different little batteries. I got one to keep the photo focus motor going. I've got one for the monitor. I've got one for the camera. Blah blah blah. There's too many batteries. So now everything is rigged up to just work on one V lock, mm. and that's it. So it also means I don't have to carry tons of chargers when I fly, when I travel. You know, it's it's hopefully a very very neat little setup. And I've just got the tether tools. Uh, DTAP to 90 watt um, adapter. So you basically you plug it plug it in to the DTAP on your battery, and you can then get I think it's 87 watt full charge or 90 watt full charge into your USB C. So you can power your MacBook Pro almost at, well at full power. Um, and say for example you want to um, you know go out on location, hire in a couple of V-locks or buy a couple of V-locks, and they're way easier because I've got the mini V-Locks, they're way easier just to use a load of them. Mm. They're basically just a bit more versatile than the camera-specific batteries. You know what I think we should do, like a little, on the Instagram, we should have a little story, so it's just your kit. <laughs> so when we talk about this stuff, you can put it up, and we can put it in the highlights, maybe. We can do um, that. And we should then... do that for yours as well, because yours is, is way more thought out than mine. <laughs> <laughs> And we could, yeah, well, that'd be a good little place actually to have like a little behind the scenes kit uh, thing there, actually, for mm. stuff that we're talking about so you can see what it is we're talking about. Do we have any questions this week? Um, we got some good, you sent me some nice feedback the other day, actually, from someone. I did. Um, but I've put you on the spot and I don't know, I don't know. Over you did, you, many did, you did rather, you did rather jump that on me. Uh, <laughs> hang on. We'll, we'll cut this bit out of us scrolling back through our phones to see the the, the snapshots that we keep sending yeah, to one another of all the positive feedback. We've got one. Yeah, this is good. This is good. Like people on phones on podcasts looking stuff up. It's, it's yeah, gripping it's kind of, radio. It's quite like comedians get coffee in cars. It's just photographers look at feedback on phones. It's not quite as thrilling, actually, when you say it out loud. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, a lot of feedback from the the previous episode with the with the legal stuff uh, with Nick. Uh, people basically just saying it was nice to either get a get a refresher or uh, or just to hear it, just honest chat about it. Um, if if anyone hasn't heard that one, it's the one before this. Um, it's super interesting. I mean, we have to give a shout out again to Ollie Edwards because he said that we're by far my favourite photography podcast out there. Well, look at that. There we go. Thanks, Ollie. Um, I hope you follow um, more than one, because otherwise that is a bit bit empty promises. But you know, we'll take it. Appreciate it. So we have we have also one from Tom Damsel, um, which has come in, uh, which I'm just looking at now. So we may have to answer in another podcast. He's put, he's put quite a few questions. Oh no, just two. <laughs> 
What technique did you use to market yourself early on when you were making a step into the professional world in order to help you take it to the next level? What did you use, Tom? I used, I used, uh, I probably, I had quite an active blog when I started out and I used to do mail outs, um, digital mail outs and the odd physical mail out for marketing. I want, I I still actually use some of the techniques I first started and some of them I can and can't talk about because obviously some of them I'm still using. And the trouble is one of, one of my ones is just the gift that keeps on giving. And if you, if you know me and you know what I do for marketing, you'll be like, Oh damn. Like that is actually, that's yeah. I know what he's talking about, but for the guys who are listening, unfortunately I can't, I don't really want to talk about that, but, I I did we'll we'll talk about it a little bit on the uh the episode today. I have done newspaper mailers, I have done postcards, I have done uh I actually paid a couple of years ago and this is actually one of my best received mailers is I sent a hundred of these out and they were the image um clicky the the projector things you put to your face. And you click oh, yes. through the click through the pictures. It was a very expensive mailer, but the feedback was was great. It was really good, really good. Um, yeah. But yeah, all sorts really. I just I still was a do guy a lot in, of the direct contact. There was a guy in uh, somewhere in one of the Scandinavian countries who got a little action figure of himself made up. I remember seeing that. I years saw ago. that. He also, sent it out. Who's there? Is a photographer who does bonkers mailers. Um, well, no plastic sleeves used to be a good resource for mailers if um, you're interested in marketing. They had a good blog and um, used to kind of highlight. I'm not sure if it's still going. We'll link to it in the show notes. But I, um, I have the, I have their book. Yes, they did a book a few years ago on portfolios and, and um, promotional stuff. It's very Which, good. Also, if you want to see, here we go, I found it on Petapixel. If you want to see a guy who is very, very solid at doing his own mailers... Uh, and and just generally branding across. I wonder if he'd come on. I'm, I might message him and see. If he doesn't, you'll obviously you, you, you'll have seen how that's gone. But there's a there's a photographer called Clint Davis, um, who I think is an American guy, um, and he's he did a mailer. I'm looking at he's done he's done loads, but he gave out a um, a camera on one of his mailers, and then another mailer was um he bought like 50 custom ipad cases from pelly so like really really expect not expect like yeah quite expensive uh thing to have a send a mailer out in with custom cut foam and stuff uh with a mini lens but you know it's it's on petapixel we'll we'll link to it um but it is it is interesting seeing how much effort can go into someone's mailers yeah the second question um, from Tom is, what drives your decision to use lighting in situations where perhaps there is ample ambient light? Is it purely aesthetic or perhaps a client preference? What's the thought process? Do you want to go first or should I? Well, for me, it's always aesthetic, really. Um, I don't like tend to use lighting if it's... if it really, really isn't required. It depends on what look I'm going for, whether or not it's going to affect the timing of the shoot, if it's kind of feasible in terms of being practical 
to set up and shoot or whether or not it's going to take up too much time and slow things down because obviously when you're using lighting you have a different pace to the way that you shoot sometimes you might need a bigger crew so a lot of that depends on the job and depends on the client but it also depends on what look I'm trying to create whether or not I actually want to have lighting in something or whether or not I want it to be more authentic and obviously that in itself also affects the type of lighting you then use Mm. Um, so I guess all of those basically it's aesthetic it's client preference and the thought process is what suits the brief what suits the situation what suits the practicalities of the situation Mm -hmm. for me I don't use ambient light I use a bit obviously but you know they just whack it up to f22 and hope that it all goes um no i for me it's it's purely aesthetic i my style is heavily flash lit always has been um and so when people hire me for a job they are expecting that sort of look and that is the look that that i've kind of worked quite hard over the years to kind of not perfect because obviously it's always changing but to 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 work towards that look so yeah for me lighting is such a such a key part of the work um that i that i always i always light regardless but also i quite like the um the kind of the confidence when you you're not really worrying about what the ambient's doing so much um for me i I don't tend to kind of ever really worry about what the light's going to be like when i get to somewhere because you know you can you can do all sorts of stuff with flash so um yeah i guess for me it's purely aesthetic amazing so hopefully that answers the question for tom um if you guys have got any more questions please do kind of keep sending them in uh instagram is probably the best way um of getting them to us and this week we're kind of we are speaking to matt martin who is a um a photographer that has really kind of taken a path down the self-publishing route and there's loads of um interesting ideas in this that he throws out there and um a lot to take away from it mentions quite a lot of stuff so again the show notes are worth having a look at because there's loads of links in there and tom lied when he said there wasn't much gear chat a little bit of gear chat towards the end it gets a bit geeky on um film cameras and what have you so if you're interested in that stay all the way to the end um but I mean, it's a little, it's a little bit. A little teaser. A little I, I, on our level, though, I wouldn't say it gets at all techy. Well, not on your level. Your level's kind of <laughs> unobtainable by mere mortals. Um, <laughs> right. Without further ado, let's crack on. Um, here is Matt Martin. Hello and welcome to this week's show. We are very lucky to be joined this week by Mr. Matt Martin, who is currently the head curator at um photobook cafe uh matt welcome to the show hello greg nice to meet you hello tom hope you're both well Well, matt where do you join us from today i am in my bedroom in uh my lovely house in stepney stepney um i just moved here after the uh the first sort of break in lockdown after uh yeah a, a very hectic few months with a with a house with a particular household and it was time to sort of find a new spot so yeah lovely place in stepney right on the edge of a 
old Jewish graveyard, trees. It's quiet. Oh, wow. It's uh, so Stepney a for dream, our international really. listeners in Stepney, Stepney Green, Green is yeah, it's Green. East London, London, England. East London. Not Ontario. I mean, let's not give your entire address away. We don't want people to. Ter- <laughs> no. We don't want people turning up. <laughs> well, he hasn't said anything controversial the fans yet. Will come. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> we, we always give out people's addresses at the end for hate mail. Um, so, so Matt, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. We've known each other for a few years now. Um, I think I met you back when you were doing running the photocopy club out of Doomed Gallery um, in Dalston. Um, but if you can kind of give us a bit of a background about yourself, like how you got into photography and then how that's kind of led to your interest, more passion with kind of publishing and and how that's led to your current role. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from Exeter down in Devon, uh, Southwest coast. Go go Chiefs. And, um, go Chiefs. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely, uh, rugby all the way. <laughs> um, definitely not a rugby player, but um, yeah, no. So yeah, grew up down there. Um, yeah, just pretty, pretty sort of standard. Growing up, countryside, riding bikes, running around in the fields, whatever. Um, <laughs> fields of wheat, cow tipping um, to raise the meat. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just, um, I sort of. I got into photography. I, I I went to Exeter College and I started doing like a media GMVQ or something like that and just completely hated it. But within within sort of two weeks of that course, uh, we could do any other sort of course that the college did. And so I did a photography um, course and first time sort of going into the darkroom um, and, um, you know, hand printing and stuff and just completely fell head over heels it was just I was like this is my bag and so quit the media and then ended up doing like two two uh, I think I ended up doing about three years at Exeter College doing like different varieties of NVQs and you know all the different things that don't actually mean anything in the real don't world say that we've got students um, to listen yeah right <laughs> it, it is worth it don't go to uni. That's my first <laughs> thing. Oh, especially not till later life. I think it's better. But um, yeah, I just um, yeah got really into that. I was heavily involved in sort of the local punk and music scene, skateboarding, graffiti, and all that sort of stuff. And just would photograph friends, you know, just doing what we were doing. Um, and I think around that sort of time was when I think just after college, I got a job in the Snappy Snaps. And that's sort of around that time when things like Flickr and Tumblr were kind of big and that sort of diaristic snapshot type of photography was, you know, quite popular for for a certain generation. And that involved in photographing bands and looking at skate magazines and and all that stuff just sort of grew the passion even more and, and, and learning about zines and DIY exhibitions and different ways to show your work and what was great about those early platforms like Flickr and um, early days of Tumblr and stuff was that it just grew your community and you just met people from all over the world and you know people that I'm very amazingly good friends with now and we you know been to people's weddings and um, we've all grown up in this industry and uh, and weirdly all sort of stuck at it which is which is kind of interesting and but it all we all just grew out of of skateboard 
um, and, and punk music and just documenting our lives and sharing our pictures and sharing our zines and that sort of stuff. And so after that, I moved. Um, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't want to go to uni. I just wanted to I wanted to just get sort of stuck in and Exeter's, you know, it's a very small town. So it's kind of not really a place to sort of start a career. And uh, I was too sort of nervous of moving to London at that sort of time. So there was a really good scene happening in Brighton. So this is around sort of 2009, 2010. Um, and there was a really nice group of, of young photographers making really interesting work and and there's a, a sort of a, a head guy who sort of ran a studio there and I was just like I have to go to Brighton and just sort of see what I can what I can do so I just moved there with a, an ex-partner of mine and we just got a flat and uh, went into the studio and just asked for a job and he didn't give me one because <laughs> he I just said I was that guy off Flickr who gets in you <laughs> and then um so worked a few just odd jobs in Brighton, just sort of getting into the photography scene there and just would go to the studio every time off and make tea and paint the floors until they basically gave me a job pretty much. Um, and he gave me my like first exhibition. Um, which, which studio was but prior that? to that? I, it was called Garage Studios. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, which then it, became Create Studios. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Kevin Mason. Kevin Mason. Oh, right. we, we, weirdly, yeah. we're going to know a lot of the same people. How old are you? Yeah. I'm 33. Okay, so I was three years ahead of you. So we, I, you know, so I get t- tattooed by Lou, uh, who runs uh, Death Store Tattoo, just in the same lanes okay. down by uh, yeah, where yeah. Garage Studio. Yeah, I used to love Garage Studios. I shot uh, Architects there. Uh, Wait a minute, okay. is, is, is Matt going to have the same um, film tattoo that you've got on your neck? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. He's I, Matt strikes me as oh my god. Have you, have you, you seen this? You strike me as someone who's got. Wait, okay, well, now now I feel like this is going to become a thing where we have to show all the guests, right? It has been mentioned so, in a previous episode. Sorry, but... you, you. I want to get your reaction on. Okay, no, no, no. It's better than that. Oh wow! <laughs> Deep. Oh, it goes through the neck. Yeah, well, that's incredible. Wild, right? That's gnarly. But yeah, so Brighton, we, we obviously know a lot of the same people. So you'll know Buzz at the Punker Bunker. You'll know Tim. Yeah, Buzz. Oh, yeah, he used to print scenes for me. Yeah, wild. Um, Small world. And so like, yeah, so I mean, just stepping back in Exeter, I, I was putting on little DIY exhibitions. We'd find sort of empty spaces and stuff. And that's where that real love of of just getting a group of people together just to put a show on mm-hmm. just for, you know, the hell of it, just making work printing it out on the photocopier or as you know as cheaply and affordable as possible and just doing this stuff and so when i got to brighton i i found all these sort of like-minded people in photography and punk music and who just it's just full diy culture and that's what i you know really loved about it and jim stevenson from mini click gave me my first talk which was probably the second or third mini click they ever did um and Kevin at, Gar- at Garage gave me my first show, um, which was called Eat Well, Stay Fit and Die Anyway, which was all pictures from an American road trip. As the conversation goes on, I, you know, I'm a huge road trip guy and, and sort of love shooting that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I just started work- working for Kevin and he, he just completely took me under his wing and was just really supportive. And then when we he started creating, studios uh which was in new england house i basically came on as sort of a first assistant to him and and just sort of learned everything from lighting to digi digiteching to 
how to run a studio. And then we also opened up a, a gallery in the front of the unit. And so I basically became the, the curator of that space and started putting on exhibitions for people like Chris Floyd and Ewan Spencer and um, a bunch of other, we did lots of uni shows for there. And I got really involved in the sort of the Biennale that the photo works and uh, the fringe and all that. And so it was 2011 when photocopy club started. Um, and just explain, and I don't know if yeah, you want to sort of delve explain into a little bit to the listener uh, what a photocopy club is and what it's all about. So the whole idea really was to to, to build an open submission exhibition platform that was affordable to everyone. Um, and I've been using Xerox as a, since my teenage years of just a way to make my photographs as big as possible and as cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really heavily into graffiti and I would go out and, and, and wheat paste my photographs. I was heavily influenced by JR, who's who's pretty, you know, a very big artist now. But back then he was just a, you know, a French Parisian, you know, graffiti guy, just sort of wheat pasting his photographs around Paris. And that was really inspiring. Um, and so the photocopy club was the idea that we would do six shows between Brighton and London um, every three months or whatever throughout the year. And you could submit your photographs, but they have to be printed black and white on a photocopier, whatever size you want from A4 to A0. And you just print it, sign and date the back, put it in a postal tube, post it to us, no theme or anything. And then we would do a big exhibition of all the work and all the work was uh, available to buy for £5. So the whole thing was meant to be affordable for me the photographer and the public so you could i was just fed up that you couldn't it was so hard to buy photography it's always so it's always been so expensive and we were always so driven on on trading prints and uh just making stuff as affordable as possible and that's what i wanted photocopy club to be and amazingly it just it just blew up Mm. it was just incredible how I mean, it was all just through Tumblr. It, we all just, it was just promoted through that. It just, I used to run another site called We Are Lucky, which basically just showed photographers' work. And yeah, I used to follow that. Like that. I mean, this was back in the, mm. that's the other thing, I guess, to mention, because this was all happening around the same time as kind of Tumblr and Flickr were very kind of important in disseminating work. Um, yeah, it was just a huge sharing platform. So well, you were kind of doing something similar, but in a more a physical way by having the photocopy club because you were making it accessible and affordable and, you know. Yeah, IRL, IRL Tumblr, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, yeah, it just was incredible. We would, The postman was just dropping off, like, you know, we'd just get the whole postal bag and they would drop off stuff. And originally I would video every submission that I would open, but that just became too much. And then we just photographed everything. But... I think, you know, the first show that we did probably had around 60 to 80 photographers in the show, um, all submitting between one to, you know, 30. I mean, we put a cap on how many you can send <laughs> after that because people were just sending loads. But it was amazing and just it was great and we, a, a, a great time and everyone sort of came down and bought prints off the wall and I met so many great photographers. And I think that's uh, – we then did a sh- – the the following was London and we did it at Beach uh, Gallery, which was on Cheshire Street, just off of, of Brick Lane in the basement gallery there. And it was just one of those perfect exhibition nights where 
there's everyone's outside it's a bit chilly you go down into the basement everyone's crammed together people are pulling prints off the wall it's just like it's it was just so fun um and yeah, I was gonna say that's not the way you, people are used to behaving in <laughs> exhibitions. No, it's just punk rock. ripping that's prints what, off the wall. So <laughs> that's what I loved about it so much, and the, all the shows were one night only as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And we, I loved the fact that it was up and gone in yeah. the night. And if you saw it, you saw it. If you didn't, you didn't. It, it made them become um, a real kind of thing to go to. And I remember the ones that you were doing a bit later on. I guess at Doomed Gallery, you know. Well, the ones that I first met you at was at Huck. Mm. That was that was the fourth photocopy club um and that was great because huck were really supportive and greg you you had done quite a lot of work for them and we'd had um the the work just got better and better and the prints and just the the quality of the photography was just amazing it was so nice that people could come and buy just a a really stunning Mm. photograph a five pound it just uh worked really well and then yeah so leading on we i think probably did yeah so six exhibitions brighton london brighton london brighton london we did stuff at proteins old space and then i was trying to find another gallery in london and my friend joe skilton told me about this place called doomed that he'd found on ridley road and he just found it randomly by by walking up ridley road and there was this old sign above a, a iron gate and it just said doomed <laughs> he was like what the fuck is this i've got to find out and it's run by the you know my basically adopted father uh ken flaherty and i just went down to see joey joey had an exhibition there and i went to see that and spoke to ken and he was just in this like del boy jacket with this gray flamboyant mohawk in his 60s with a big chain around his neck and i was like yeah this is this is the shit <laughs> Um, and we did Xerox and Destroy there, which was the skateboarding mm. one, which me and Mark uh, Valley put on um, together. And again, yeah, that and then it just started kickstarting again in London, and we did the Riot show mm-hmm. at Doom. Um, I remember submitting to that one quite a lot. <laughs> mm. so, yeah, you, you get loads of stuff in that. Um, and yeah, it was just... And then, and then, and then I decided to leave. I think Create had was closing, and we and lots of people were leaving Brighton. I didn't really know what to do. I was I still wasn't sure about moving to London. And then all my mates just went there, and I was just like, I've got to. I started actually a, a, a gallery and zine shop in the hallway of my house for a few months when I didn't know what I was doing, and just I basically ripped up. I had this really long hallway with the door that went straight onto the street. And so I just ripped up the carpet and put shelves all up on the walls, really thin mm. corridor, uh, and just covered it in zines and posters and just put an A-frame outside and sat on the bottom of my Amazing. stairs and waited for people to walk in <laughs> and get very confused about why they were in my hallway. Um, I guess that, that's so much in ethos with what you, you're you about, you know, that kind of DIY punk kind of uh, mentality of just creating it just doing it you know not necessarily following the the standard kind of way that people would do something just create your own space create your own way of doing it and if the work's good enough the people will come yeah i think you just have to i think like maureen paley you know she started off just in a in her bedroom or whatever in her house or something you know it's like you just gotta whatever means necessary really and you can just uh 
create something amazing. And that's what, you know, Doomed was built out. Ken just lived in that space for about 10 or, 10 or 12 years before he started the gallery. And it was just an empty space with an old tin bar from the middle and motorbikes and slot machines and a bed in the corner. And then he was just like, I want to have a show. I want to find, I want to be able to show my work and stuff. And uh, he just thought, I've got the perfect space. I'll just set it up here and, and do it. So he just built a wall down the middle of the space, built two bedrooms. And then um, he put up on Facebook, actually, when I was just in Brighton, that he was looking for someone to take the room. And I was like, if I come and move up to London, can I help you run the gallery? And that's sort of where that relationship was born. And it was, you know, he's a 77 punk and I'm a, <laughs> I'm a 2000s punk. So it was kind of an interesting mix of minds and we're about uh, pretty much exactly 30 years difference. So, uh, it was, and I've always had that. I've always had this weird mentor ship with, with, with older people ever since college. There was a guy that was a photography technician there and we became really good friends over graffiti. And then in Brighton, there was Kevin. And then now there's, then there was Ken and now there's Lee at photo book cafe. And it's always this sort of, older person that's been so like uh, generous with their I, I think it's something that's really important in in our industry is kind of people mentoring the next generation and um yeah it's wonderful when you can find somebody who who's good as you said willing to do that and has got the time and and um willing to kind of impart their years of wisdom can make a massive difference mm. Yeah. So g- going on to Photobook Cafe, tell tell us a little bit about. So, for people who don't know anything about it, what's because it's obviously it's attached to RapidEye, uh, which is a photo lab. But tell us a bit about the whole setup that you've got there. Well, so so RapidEye Darkrooms has been running since 1996, um, and again, you know, Lee started it just off off a grant i think i think he applied for like a prince's trust or some sort of arts council grant to sort of set it up and he begged stilled and borrowed for all the machines and it was based somewhere else before it was on leonard street but um so it's had a few sort of reincarnations um but yeah it was you know pro lab it was uh you know lee was very close with everyone in you know in the industry in london obviously shoreditch and leonard street has been a a prime location for for photographers over the last you know 30 years you know um the greats have had studios there and and then there's bdi as well which was you know brian dowling and that whole connection which eventually sort of merged into um rapid eye when when brian retired but so rapid eye has been an amazing lab and uh, you know supported so many people and has a, a an amazing roster of photographers that that work there and lee basically wanted to sort of expand uh the front of house the dark rooms but also he was being given so many photo books by all these photographers and he just wanted a place for them all to sort of live and and be viewed so his idea was to set up a a cafe that was a place that photographers could come and hang out and there would be book launches and talks and people could donate their self-published photo books to the collection and the idea was basically to build up this huge archive and open library mm. so people could come and look at all these amazing books but rather than be a bookshop the idea was that photographers and art directors and whatever can come and look at this work but then look at our online archive 
and go directly to the artist. So we're basically just acting as 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 the middleman to to, to direct these people and showcase you know the amazing work that happens. Um, the, the wonderful thing is it's you know it's apart from its position because it's on the old roundabout, so it's kind of on the corner, yeah, um, around the corner from the lab. Although I think they do have a lab on site as well. Uh, or downstairs. Yes, we have a lab downstairs yeah. as well. But, yeah. So you can go in and drop film off, but at the same time, there's all these books kind of around you. You can get a coffee, you can get a beer, and they have shows normally in normal times when people can go to things. Yeah. Um, so that's a, another great way. And it's funny because, you know, aside from it's almost as if we've gone through the last 10 years, that side of photography has maybe disappeared a little bit. You know, you've got the photographer's gallery over in. West Central London, which has a, a lovely uh, bookstore downstairs and a little cafe and a, a nice gallery space, but this seems to be servicing a slightly different uh, crowd, but also is doing it over in East London. And I f- it's amazing in a way that no one else was really doing it to the same extent to create kind of somewhere where you could have a coffee and go meet another photographer and look at some amazing work. You know? Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. Doomed. Doom. We had Doom for five years, and um, it was that. It was a. It was a clubhouse. It was a place that you. You know, when you go to a gallery and it's just four white walls. You walk around it. You leave. You maybe have like a small glass of wine. This was. Mm-hmm. You know, you stayed there all night and you just got hammered and you talked and created and just. You know, it's. It was amazing and you just would then. Uh, you know, it was five years and we were just completely burnt out, running out of steam. Um, and so we decided to close the gallery in uh, September 2018. And I went off to the States f- for four months to work on a personal project and sort of get back into photography. And then when I came back, I didn't really know what to do. I was just sort of, I was doing some teaching and, and zine workshops and a bit of assisting and stuff like that. And then I heard about this place, Photo Book Cafe, and Nick Wappington was having his book launch, Hackney Riviera, opened at the, the opening of it. And I was like, I've got to go check this place out. And it was just so many people. This is like September 2019. So it's pretty, we've been open just about a year. Um, and we just, you know, it was an amazing night. It was beautiful weather. Everyone was chatting, just stayed there for hours. Conversation finally met Lee and was just like, what do you need someone like what's the deal he's like oh, i'm looking for like a cafe manager I'm like, okay rode home as drunk as i could fell off my bike crashed home ran in like wrote up my cv like i don't have a cv i just had to create something and i was like i need to like google how to be a barista i need to like learn how to pour a pint i was like i have to work at the spot and then my fr- i sent it to my friend Bianca and she was like, don't send this down. Like you're still, <laughs> you've written it. Like, okay, I'll chill out. For a yeah. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> and then my friend Valerie Phillips was like, Oh, I want to do a, a book launch at photo book cafe. It's not... So I went with her cause I, I curate some of her, her shows and print her zines and stuff and uh, met Lee. And then he was like, I'm actually looking for someone to, to run events. And I was like, I'm your fucking dude. Mm. Like this like this has to be and so yeah went back rewrote the cv without all the <laughs> barista stuff and then uh, <laughs> fake barista stuff and then and then just yeah a couple meetings more and now it's just like yeah just have to be here it just is the perfect stepping stone from doomed it's that it's i can bring the the diy 
and mix it with the industry's mm. like top and just make this melting pot and it would just like it's just gonna work and just went straight in and was like okay let's just do back to back launches and shows and we were just doing a talk on a tuesday and a show on a thursday and we just did that and did that until lockdown basically. and it's amazing in a way that you know it's, it shows that there's a real resurgence in film photography and and people wanting to learn about printing and doing their own printing the fact that a lab like that can not only be surviving in central london but actually expanding as they did in 2018 2019 when they took over the new space um mm. i mean that's a real testament to um how popular film photography and printing and how much there is still a kind of appetite for it um do, how have they been coping during lockdown do you know if they're still operating as a lab mm. well yeah so i, I i'm heavily involved in, in, in both parts of the company um so during lockdown we we obviously had to make everything online and and sort of change the way that we did a, a service for people to come in and do film and because i only lived in dalston at the time i was so close and and you know even though it's you know it's lee's baby it's also i feel i'm so you know close mm. to it that i just went there every day and like make sure the calf was all right we had a break in which we you know had to sort out and um you know just kept the place you know came in mm. and wash the floors and whatever. And then after about a month, Lee basically set up a whole online platform and we were doing, we had a Dropbox outside and people could come and drop off film. Um, and you just had to, you know, it's in times like this, you just have to figure out ways to, to get through it. And lucky enough, you know, a lot of people have had, uh, you know, insanely hard times during this and, you know, the, the government, you know, I mean, I'm not going to get onto politics, but <laughs> I think that a lot of people were quite lucky in the fact that they did, freelancers did get, uh, you know, um, grant money and people that were furloughed meant that people who were shooting, you know, are shooting film did have a, a, a little bit of disposable income mm. if they're not spending so much on holidays and whatever. And so it, it was, it's really good, you know, people are still shooting and it was the summer. So obviously everyone's sort of going out and, taking more pictures and now we're just trying to figure out how we can with the darkrooms are open for rental but we have to try, sort of try and figure out how how many people we can have in mm, there and sure. we're trying to do that and then we're just trying to you know figure out ways to to keep going because obviously now that we can't do events and all our, we the cafe is open but we, we just have seating outside mm -hmm. and so uh we you know we just got to come up with new interesting ways to keep the cafe, you know, exciting mm. and people interested and, you know, doing things like the shutdown sessions, like online talks and, you know, keeping the, keeping the books very much at the forefront of everything and displaying them and, and just, you know, keep doing that. And I think that will keep people coming and keep that interest yeah. sort of growing. What do you have planned post, post all of this? Have you got some exciting, because it must've been quite an interesting time to be incubating ideas of what you can do and anything that you've kind of got in the pipeline or, or that generally rapid eye have in the pipeline. I mean, they'd... we just, at the minute, you just got to take it one day as it comes. Yeah. It's so hard at the minute yeah. to plan. I think that's what most festivals are really struggling with. You know, everyone's, you know, uh, photo London went online this year, photo works did their amazing exhibition in a box. You just, you've got to come up with sort of new ways. Um, and, you know, there are, you know, there's, there's ideas, but 
but we're the idea of the calf is a coming together yeah. you know mm. so hard to make that virtual very much so yeah um and so the so what we have to try and do is is make the calf a way that people can still come and get a coffee and see interesting stuff but obviously in a safe and more binding way in terms of you know if there's any of our listeners that are interested in you know kickstarting an interest uh, interest in the subject itself of of self-printing and um zines and what have you what resources are there out there or kind of sources of inspiration that you've you've got come to mind that you can kind of point people towards how do how do people kind of get involved in it start it off where should they be looking what if they want to self-publish and make zines yeah i mean it's such an interesting concept for especially photography you know because photography is so digital now the actual i mean i self-published little projects maybe once every couple of years and i'll work with a designer and we'll print everything out and i'll make maquettes you know and and I still do that with my portfolios. I make mock-ups in order to work out order and flow. Um, and I think it's a really great way of of looking at your work in a different way, but understanding how the visual image works on the printed page. Um, it's very easy when you're kind of shooting stuff for digital campaigns and it's only going to live online or it's only going to live on social media that you 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 kind of you forget the idea of narrative flow within images and how... Mm-hmm. multiple mm-hmm. images can be so much stronger than the single image so the process of printing your own work and of making zines and playing i guess making something physical making a scrapbook making something that's a bit messy and is quite unique is a really important process but some people maybe are a bit reluctant not reluctant but maybe have never done it before and don't know how to get involved so what would you suggest in terms of things that people could look at or places they could get inspiration yeah, I mean, I've just, I love making zines and and all my personal work, I always try and, you know, sort of make a book and stuff like that. And I think, you know, the best, the the best advice is to just buy a photocopy or a printer or something, you know, and just always have it to hand because there's no, no better feeling than, than, going out like this morning like jumped up jumped out of bed it was like beautiful morning took the day off work i was like i've got to go shoot went down to like the river thames went down onto the banks shot like two rolls of film um and if i was shooting digital i would go out shoot like you know set myself a goal go to that place whatever and then just come back and make a zine and do everything in the day just do everything in one day just come back make an edit print it out hand stitch it or you know, it's just like the best feeling to, um, to, to, to be able just to do everything yourself rather than overthinking something and being like, Oh, I've got to get, you know, color tested or where, where am I going to get this printed or published? Or, you know, it doesn't, none of that matters. You just got to, the whole point of, I think of, you know, photography is really doing it for yourself before you, before you, you know, make a living out of it. Mm. And if you can still keep that love of just going out and trying to find the photograph, the color red for the afternoon or something, or like just, you know, focus on one area and just document that area and come back, make a little publication. You could just make one or you could make 10 and give them to your mates. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's such such an important way of keeping your brain ticking over. And I think we I did this one. I sort of went off a little bit of, of making books over the course of lockdown. I just was sort of really sort of tired of it and been looking at, you know, so much work and trying to think of new stuff for the calf. But this photographer, um, Alan McFetridge, he did a, a, a book opening at the calf where he put these big canvases over the windows and then did these big charcoal drawings um, at night. And then that was sort of part of his show. His book is all about wildfires and the burnings of, of forests and stuff. And so I just photographed him doing that. And I kind of didn't really think anything about the images, but then a week or so later, I just sort of laid everything out, A4 landscape, and just printed them out on the photocopier and then got some charcoal out of the bonfire in my garden and then just broke it all over the pages and just sort of like messed with it. I did like a Japanese book bind and then just put it straight in an envelope, made one copy, gave it to Alan and was like, that's like your thing. And then he opens it up. And so every time he opens it, the charcoal makes a different oh, wow. markings on the page and stuff like that. And that really inspired me. I was like, okay, there's rather than just sort of making a little zine, that's just, you know, an A5 sort of pamphlet thing. It's so nice to try and experiment mm. with, with different means. And um, even if you just make one, it's just like, uh, it definitely gets the, Created juices flowing. Did you warn him that he was just about to open a book full of loose charcoal? <laughs> so, I, no. right, so, so, so I've got an aunt, right? That's the best part. So I've got an aunt who sends me a birthday. Beadle's going to get. Yeah, right. she, she used to send me a birthday card, and every year I'd be like, "Don't recognise the writing," <laughs> and it'd be full of like plastic. Don't know, forties or something. I'm not forty, but she was mad so i you know all this plastic could go everywhere so i just had this amazing vision of him going oh lovely look at this thing oh getting covered covered in charcoal <laughs> like a chimney thing. wow um what i also i kind of want to question opened it very delicately your your photocopier because i've got visions of you just having like an office sized photocopier kind of like one of the massive ones that. kind of in the corner of your room what do you what do you do you actually have like a second hand photocopy or something that you bought? Yeah, so I've always had the weirdest studio setups. They've either been in like the rafters of roofs or like the basements of houses or whatever. And so my last place in Dalston I had a basement studio and now my new place luckily has a basement, which is really lucky because it's always fucking hard to find yeah. studios and whatever. So I actually just have a I have two desks set up with uh, a paper trimmer um basically like an a4 desktop size photocopier xerox photocopier uh, that just does a4 but it works with toner rather than like an inkjet oh, cool. or whatever mm -hmm. so it's you know sort of st keeps with that classic sort of you can photocopy stuff multiple times and really mm -hmm. degrade it and all that sort of stuff and then i have a sewing machine and then my desk and then all my zines and all that sort of stuff so it's a really sort of because with photocopy club i would publish people's zines and stuff so i needed a sort of a publishing setup and so i would make all the zines myself and we'd do small editions of mm. 30 to 50 and then um the artist would maybe get you know 10 or 20 copies and then the rest i would just sell through photocopy club so i've, I've you know i've been doing that for the last 10 years all on that one photocopy and when it which Valerie Phillips actually bought for uh... me because she was like i was like i just need to make zines i just need and she was like if i buy this for you 
will you make zines for me for the rest of your life? And I was like, yeah, that's a good wow. deal. Wow. <laughs> you got it on a retainer. Brilliant. I'm still making zines through it now. So do you, with the regards to binding, where did you learn to bind? Or are you, you know, because I'm guessing, you know, if you wanted, if a listener wanted to start, you don't, it doesn't need to be neat. You can just staple the thing together. But I guess the more that people get into it, the more advanced that they get, the more that they're going to be looking into kind of different binding techniques. And that can become part of the project in itself, can't it? Yeah, definitely. That, I mean, that completely changes a book. I was about to show you something, but it doesn't work on the podcast. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so, you know, I started just, stapling stuff i think when i worked at snappy snaps i would print off like six by nine photographs and then just glue them together and then just ram staples down the bind because i had no idea mm. how to like use InDesign or or th- you know do double-sided printing or whatever mm-hmm. and then then i started stapling stuff and then i started using a sewing machine just to do a straight stitch straight down the middle of the spine and, and that's what a lot of photo club, club zines are, are done on and then Japanese bookbinding, I just taught myself, just watched, you know, YouTube videos and whatever, and just bought wax cotton thread and book needles and awls and stuff. And then, so I just taught myself a really simple way and experimented. And again, like I was saying before, I would go out, I think it started around when we had the Beast from the East. Mm-hmm. I remember that. that. Big yep. snow. Yep. I just went out and shot that for a couple of days and then came back, made a book, put it online sold 20 copies of it or whatever and that, that that was just you know hand bound uh and then yeah just whatever but i mean there's there's great places there's like the london book arts which is based down in hackney wick that if you really want to learn how to make like a hardback book mm-hmm. they're, they're really good um and they do stuff like embossing and all, all that sort of stuff um impressive there's plenty of little courses and things yeah do you run <laughs> i'm just ignore his puns um so do you run your own workshops for um for, for zine creating then yeah so i started doing workshops in brighton when i was at create doing just uh zine workshops for students and stuff mm-hmm. and then um now i do stuff i do stuff for photography festivals um in you know around europe and stuff and, and can you find those um, through the website are they are they if you've got you know when you have them are they put on a particular part yeah. of the website because we'll link to that in the show notes yeah at the minute i'm sort of rebuilding the photocopy club site to sort of showcase more of the archive and, and stuff like that and i've got a big project to try and work on for next year um so i'm sort of trying to sort of smart and photocopy club up a bit because it was sort of really just on tumblr and you just sort of had to scroll and scroll Mm. and scroll but i'm trying to make a site that sort of has everything from workshops to videos to the to the archive and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. um and but mostly the workshops i've been doing recently have all been in unis um whether it's for you know their fashion students or photography students and sort of trying to tailor workshops for specific courses um whether that's like, you know, making the work in the day or they come with their pre-made images and you sort of, you know, teach layout and design and, and that sort of stuff. But trying to do everything by hand, no computers, just doing it all cut and paste. Nice. Really. For the people who maybe want to put together a zine but but aren't good with their hands, you know, is there some way you can send them send them to print? I know I've I've had zines printed in the past at XYZ. 
yeah so yeah xyz are a good one um yeah just if you just learn the basics of indesign it's pretty easy just to sort of lay stuff out mm-hmm. um there's i'm not i'm not the biggest fan of, of adobe i i believe their move to a subscription model has single-handedly made us as photographers and creators worse off i don't want to be that guy i'm not going to go into it in great detail but i believe that their move to subscription basically meant every company decided to go to subscription which means our monthly overheads have gone through quite a, a large hike over the past couple of years thank you adobe um but if anyone wants to, like check to sponsor out, the podcast <laughs> yeah right um, she's a crack I'm all right. i haven't discussed this i haven't discussed this with greg but i don't think we're going for adobe um the um the, there is actually, weirdly, a, a, a new InDesign alternative, which actually I think every listener will probably find interesting. It's by Affinity, and it's a it's a business software called Publisher, uh, and it's basically InDesign, but made by a company who charge you a one-off fee of I think it's about fifty quid, and it's and it's excellent. It's really really good, as because we don't need mm. crazy amounts of like you know we don't need full-on publishing tools. But to to do layouts and drag and drop and, and insert text and stuff like that, it's it's pretty much perfect. Anyway, yeah, Affinity. Yeah. If you'd like to get in touch, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, back back to what you were saying. That's uh, so good. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely yeah loads of different sort of platforms and stuff. But I mean, it's it's nice if you can go to like a small printers mm-hmm. like you know there's there's calvert in the east end that have been there since like the 70s or something um um and there's lots of little sort of like diy print plate like hatto press and um uh my brain's not gonna work now but and then online stuff there's like mixam and printed.com and xyz mm-hmm. and inky little fingers and um there's a bunch of sort of different places it just sort of depends how much control and that you sort of want over the publication and, and paper types and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that's, that's the whole other part of fun of it, it's, you know, going to paper suppliers and finding nice paper. Mm-hmm. And if you like working with a designer, I think it's always good to sort of get some other eyes on it. I don't particularly like working with anyone else when <laughs> I'm doing a book. I like to just sort of go with what I've sort of, yeah, does what I think works, but other people find it way better to have other eyes on it um do you have a favorite with the book i just sorry do you have a favorite paper stock sorry. <laughs> 80 gram recycled off white yes. is that genuine or you... <laughs> yeah that is genuine. okay nice. <laughs> there's loads of ladybugs that's such there. a tom barnes question isn't it sorry. Um, do you have right. a favorite paper stock let's get into the nitty-gritty of the whole matter let's talk about paper <laughs> Oh, I, I think I should leaf it out. Huh? Paper gag for you there. <laughs> I've got reams and reams of them. Tom used to work hey. at um, Wernham Hog, didn't you? <laughs> I would love to Paper salesman. Um, <laughs> so, okay, well, we will link to those, the ones you mentioned, like Calvert Printers and Hato Press and then Inky Little Fingers. What were the other ones you mentioned that were online? You've got XYZ and... Mixam, 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 M I X A M. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, printed.com. dot the, the, There was a thing called the. Is it the newspaper club that used to be around? These newspaper club. Yeah. Are they still around? Um, they're still going. Yeah, they're they're doing really well. I think. Um, I think that was a family run. I've had some things company. done by them. Yeah. 
They're, they're actually great. Yeah, there was a big sort of newspaper boom yeah. <laughs> where everyone started printing the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Just, we're printing like 50,000 at a time. I, I blame the Metro and the Evening Standard. <laughs> everyone went, what? They're printing this for free. It must be cheap. Free. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be fair, okay. the print, the print but, um, quality from there yeah. actually is great. I've mm. I've I've run I've run small batches of stuff before and actually it's it's worked really. You obviously have to choose if you're going to do it as a mailer. If you're doing it, you need to make sure the the medium fits the work you're putting in it, right? Yeah. And there's no point in mm. in sending out super high glossy stuff on recycled off white, no matter how much we both love it. Um, it you know <laughs> it just won't have the same kind of punch if you're going for like a high end you know finish because it's just not a high end finished. It looks super cool though. So obviously horses for courses. Yeah, so with my, I did a book that was meant to come out, well, it came out just before lockdown, um, which was American Geography in Colour. And I wanted to do a tabloid size version of the book. And so I, I went with Newspaper Club to start with, but you just couldn't get the right sort of paper types. And it was something that I wanted that was so, I had such a particular vision in my mind and I wanted it to be like full color litho and I wanted this recycled paper and I wanted it to be all black, like full bleed and all that sort of stuff. Um, wow. So I found uh, Chris Killip's books, he, which he did the pony hmm. box. Um, all about, it did one on um, the last ships and the punk series that he that he did and that was just perfect and i was like i want it to be just like this and and, and so uh, i just got in touch with the publisher and they just gave me um which the name of the place where i actually got it printed it escapes me now but they just gave me the gave me gave me the the name and i think that's another thing to sort of for people to look at is if you find photo books that you really really love and stuff just get in touch with you know the photographer or the publisher mm -hmm. and uh, find out where it was done. Um, I think a lot of people at the minute are, you know, printing stuff out in in Poland and other parts of mm. um, Eastern Europe just for the for the cheapness, um, but obviously good quality. But um, I think it's really important if you can start trying to find uh, printers in the UK, and um, you can go on press and and all that sort of stuff. I think that's a, a definitely, you know, if you really want to get something if you really want to focus on a big project that's self-published, um, going down all those sort of avenues and asking for different paper types and printing references and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, I think that makes a big difference. I think it's also, it's, I think it just, just getting stuff off a screen and printed, even however it is printed just makes a big difference to the way people think about their work as well. Do you, do you ever keep just scrapbooks for yourself? Have you ever been much of a scrapbooker? I've never been much of a scrapbooker. For for the last book, that was the this was the first book that I really wanted to take my time. So it took me a year until I finally had the final edit, and I would just print. I got them all printed, color photocopies, and just stuck them up on the wall of my bedroom, and would just move stuff around, and then put everything away, and then come back to it another few months later, and look at it again and that was the first time that I, I i hadn't just sort of done the edit straight away and was like okay that's it i really wanted to try and take my time and i think probably by the end of it i was back to the original is this the american zero, zero i can't even yeah. say it. Zero 
Yeah, that one. Um, that <laughs> one's actually for sale on your website, isn't it? And there's a little video on there that shows you there. It looks amazing. Um, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, right. Have you got anything? Well, have we got anything else, Tom, you want to put to Matt whilst we've got him on the line from... <laughs> no, to, to be Stephanie? honest, I, I, I had questions and then you just answered them as you were talking. So, so, so wonderfully. <laughs> well, we are coming up to our time limit on this. So what we tend to finish the show with is a um, Desert Island camera and a Desert Island photo book. I mean, it's going to be an interesting one, the photo book. Um, and you're not allowed to take a photocopier with you, unfortunately, to Desert Island. So <laughs> although there is a photo lab, we've decided. So maybe there is like a corner with a photocopier. Okay. In it. But they're super stingy with their AC outlets. So there's a, there's a yeah. photo lab it's, and there's a snappy snap. So mm-hmm. there's a, um, oh God, what was that place that used to do, used to have all the photocopying machines? There's one on the Strand. There's a guy in Cop- Dalston copycats. Who, who's, like there was something like that. I used to get all my stuff for the photocopy club printed there. Yeah, yeah there's a guy in Dalston. It's called if you just type in like London's cheapest photocopies, it comes up. It's called like CLP or something like that. And he literally is just in a room surrounded by just. I love that. Like, like thirty photos. In my head, he's like a better call Saul character. You need photocopies. Yeah. Come here today. <laughs> With one of those wangly right. handmans kind of outside. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, book. I was looking through my my bookshelf and just trying to. I'm a big photo book collector. I just love. I like. It's definitely a problem. Like you guys with gear. It's a problem <laughs> with, <laughs> with photo books. I just. Uh, I can't stop. I, like today, I was going through all the Oxfam website, looking at all the photo books they got on there. But I was wondering if it's all right with you guys if I could take the photo book history. Volume one, two, and three. is that Martin Parr's one? That's Martin Parr's <laughs> one because <laughs> it's Clever. a really long read. Yes, so you wouldn't get that bored, and it's like got amazing pictures in it. Yeah, so I think I might have to take. I that think we'll have to allow set. you because I took. I think when we did ours, I took my um, things as they are, which was a similar one but published by Chris Boot, which w- was okay. if you've not seen it, that's a fantastic book to to look at. It's um. Uh, photography throughout magazines throughout like the 20th century and uh, mm. in a similar vein to those um was it martin parr and uh jeff who, who it was two of them it's uh what's his name um jerry badger, jerry badger. So that's the badger um yeah the two of them <laughs> so they do kind of the photo book and then they do a couple of inserts don't they and there's a bit of blurb on the kind of on the background of them and um yeah, they're really like yeah, so much history. It's a great and, source of inspiration. Um, yeah, definitely, and it goes through all tight. It goes, you know, from really early stuff to all the Japanese stuff to to political stuff to 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 the to people like Ryan McGinley and stuff who were making sort of zines, and even into sort of internety kind of yeah sort of stuff. They've really sort of covered it all in terms of photographic publishing, um, and then a camera. I might have to go for the Nikon FM2. Oh, yeah. For the 50. Which 50, though? The 1.4 or the 1.2? So I, I actually four. had a... F, somewhere <laughs> in the wild is a Nikon FM2 with my old logo engraved into the prism. 
and I had it with a 51 too, and I had it on my honeymoon, and it's one of my biggest regrets that I ever sold it. So if anyone, bizarrely, is going to be listening to it and has a random TB scratched into the top, I say scratched, professionally engraved by Timpsons, effectively scratched. Um, But if anyone does ever find it, I'll I'll buy it. I I regret it pretty much every day that I sold it. Little does Tom know that I actually have that camera and I'm holding it until I'm really desperate and then I'm going to sell it at a massively inflated price. I mean, they're, they're going for proper money. Like, it was a, it was a properly mechanical sound one. Mm. Not to get really nerdy. Yeah, I've always... I think I borrowed one of a friend once on a, on, a, on, a, on a road trip and just sort of fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. And then we had, like, a distant cousin who passed away and... She had two of them, and so my dad's got one, and I've got the other. Wow. Oh, lovely! Um, but I love that camera. So it's, it's just so being like something because you know it wouldn't be a show if we didn't have a little bit of Tom wouldn't be happy unless we had a little bit of nerdy kind of gear chat. What do you tend to shoot your projects with? Tri-X. Um No, I meant camera. So, oh. <laughs> so the American geography in color trip was all shot on a context G two mm-hmm. with portrait. 400 when did you buy that um, did you buy that before or after the kardashians sent the price of them through the roof uh, well the g2 of i think that's the the t2 that the kardashians have ah. the g2 i've had since like i was i've probably had it for about seven years or more okay and i have a t2 but that's just now an expensive paperweight that broke pretty pretty much but they still um, sell for but, crazy money even broken ones yeah ones and then digital i shoot a, a fuji x100t oh fun nice which i love and i've actually just managed to get over the last sort of two years got my like coloring just right and now it's like i can i can really sort of get a good match between my my film and my nice what work. do you use to process that of interest because i always found that I just use. I'm so basic. Like I'm literally like, I'm literally like. Don't tell me you're large shooting JPEG. JPEG. <laughs> large, well, large JPEG with a raw file. Okay. And then I basically put that JPEG into Photoshop and edit on that. And then if I do eventually want to come back to the neg, I will. But to be um, fair, the JPEGs out of the Fuji's are pretty damn good. Yeah, I'm not a big tech head. Tech. No, fair enough. Head. No, but neither with, are we. But, um, neither are we. With, with no. your um, <laughs> surrounded by gear. With your um, <laughs> American xerography, did you um, print that yourself, like color print, or did you scan, or how did you work that up? So this project the, with that, I, it's basically two parts. So the first American geography was basically about documenting the American landscape as, as if Americans are just sort of up to the left. Okay. And so the first book I did was a hundred copies. It was all done on the photocopier, black and white, um, really degraded. Like the images had gone through the photocopier numerous times and that sort of stuff. And then I basically wanted to, and that was just California. And then I wanted to go and do the whole of the States. Mm. So I basically, I did about 30 States in two months. Um, just going full circle from Oakland, California, all the way through the South up to new, up through, uh, the Mississippi, then over to New York, and then Detroit, and then the top of the country, and then back down. And what was the weirdest name town idea, you went through? Sorry, it's a slight deviation. Of... Truth and Consequences. What was it called? Truth and wow. Consequences. The town was called Truth Nick and Consequences. 
yeah, it was named after a game show. It was a no, a game show. Yeah, it was a game. It's something to do with a game show. Either the town was named because of the game show, or the town had to win a name or something. <laughs> We've like probably that, got a listener there. Like, I reckon we'll we'll get an email yeah. next week. We do have <laughs> a lot like of a really, American listeners. Like Crazy hippie town. That's that's yeah. See, I um I went through Mississippi a few years ago, and we stopped off at a place called Yazoo City, which was <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Milkshakes um, are a big thing there. <laughs> they. And I mean, there's that Gregory Halpin book, which is Zizix, like XXY ZZ, which is like the last name of a place in the in the alphabet of places and names wow. or something like that which is another so i sorry i totally interrupted so you you did these no, these 30 I mean, states in two months and you were yeah and then so i when i came back um to the uk i, I basically wanted to try and replicate what i had done with the first book but um in color and i was looking a lot at like old national geos from like the 70s and 80s and um a lot of sort of you know, early Eggleston and that sort of dye transfer sort of process and that old sort of advertising, mm. American advertising. So I really wanted to try and get that sort of feel. So I got, I but and so I actually only shot, I think I shot around 20 rolls, which isn't that much. Um, and just got everything processed and then I printed everything on, on, on a recycled paper stock and then printed it just on a color Xerox machine at the, at the place down my road and then rescanned in those prints at like 640 DPI or something and then edited on those prints. So that was kind of like my, my neg. Wow. But I, what I wanted was to really get the feeling of the, the paper and I wanted it, you know, like old national geos, when you really look close to the page, you can, you can see the dots of the oh, like half tone and how type. The half tone, yeah. yeah. I really wanted to try and get as close to that, and and then I wanted my, my coloring to also be really rich in those in the blues, greens, and oranges. Mm-hmm. And so, if, if you when you look through the book, um, all the grass and everything like that has this really, really sort of strong orange mm. that sort of, that comes out. Um, and so then I and then I laid that all out, and then I wanted to get it full color litho printed because I wanted to get just as, as close as I could to what I was seeing mm-hmm. on on the original sort sort of print. Um, and there is something special and, about litho; it really is. Yeah, big fan. And then tabloid size because I wanted you to really feel like you were you could look at it on the table and just be completely surrounded mm. by you know the image and it's you know for for listeners you know it's it's landscapes it's it's old cars it's architecture it's um it's a beautiful size actually it's that kind of it feels you know substantial but you know it's um and the time of year was perfect because it was september to october so i basically went through every season Mm. and so when i'm in new england it's just you know insane and then you go up to um mount rushmore and it's snowing yeah and then you can drive for hours through the sleet and snow and then you end up in Washington and then it's sort of springy autumn-y sort of time and then you kind of come back down into California and it's just summer. <laughs> so it's just it's so crazy to to sort of see that all in one in one country. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah. it's a great book. And as I said, we'll link to it in the um, show notes. For anyone who wants to see the see a copy or purchase a copy, they should be able to um, find the links there. Thank you so much for coming on, Matt. Um, it's no been worries. Really, Thank really uh, interesting to have you on board. Mm. And look forward to catching up with you when things are back to normal in the, uh, hopefully in the cafe. Yeah, come by for a beer anytime. I need no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> no excuse <laughs> alright cheers Matt Brilliant. cheers buddy hey guys and thank you so much for listening to the latest episode if you'd like to stay in touch there are a number of options for you to uh, reach out we can be emailed um, at info at exposednegative.com and you can find us on the website at exposednegative.com or on Instagram at xnegative we're pretty good at responding to DMs on there and we're also on Twitter at exposednegative you can find us personally on our own private accounts on Instagram. Uh, Tom is tombarnes.com and I am just Greg Fennell. Cheers. Thanks for listening.